morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, April 26, 2020. As we embark on the fourth installment of our Into the Dark series, we want to remind you of where we have actually come from. Church, we know that you were edified by sons sent into the darkness. Oh, yeah. We were blessed because we could see and feel the effects of the Spirit moving on you when we shared the message, Success Defined. Amen. We're still benefiting from the glory of suffering, where we had our hearts set on gladness, rejoicing, and feeling blessed under this separation of suffering as we hold out hope for the lost, meaning our enemies, our lost co-workers, and lost family members alike. Church, this is the fourth sermon, and it's entitled, The Sufficiency of Scripture. Come on. Come on, what a, with such an important topic, we want to jump right in. On the subject of this topic, sufficiency of scripture, it may seem to some to be a little esoteric or abstractly philosophical in nature. I want to assure you that this topic has more direct implication into your practical. Somebody say practical. 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 Everyday life and your success in the kingdom than almost anything we could talk about. Amen. Let's all turn to Joshua chapter 1 and we'll start in verse 7. Now, don't hurt our feelings this morning. Speak to us when you get there. Say there. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Come on, church. Are you hearing that this morning? You want to be a success everywhere you go? Well, you got to get in the Word. You have to have the sufficiency of Scripture wherever you go. It's not just wherever you go. Think about it. The reason the locations are mentioned is because everywhere you go, you could also say the sufficiency of Scripture is for whatever you do. Amen. On top of that, the sufficiency of Scripture is for whatever you face. Let's continue in verse 8 and see this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Come on now, church. The sufficiency of scripture allows you to be prosperous and successful wherever you go. The sufficiency of scripture allows you to be prosperous and successful In whatever you do. The sufficiency of scripture allows you to be prosperous and successful in whatever you face. Now, I got to tell you all something, pastors. I have to confess to you. Uh Uh-oh. I I, uh, I googled the term sufficiency Uh of scripture the other day. Oh, yeah. Because, of course, where else would a person go to find out about the scripture and its sufficient characteristics than the world wide web? The world wide web of sin. (laughs) See, I was looking to see what the common thoughts are on this subject, and boy, did I find some common thoughts, some base, uh, I'd probably say spiritually vulgar thoughts on the subject, actually. I want to show you a small portion of what Pastor found and shared with us. See, we all benefit by each other's research, don't we? As you get precious jewels and you share them with your neighbor, then... Every person is supposed to be like the owner of a house that goes into his treasury and brings out treasures both old and new. That's all of our jobs for each other. It's amazing when you get together and you share a seven-course meal. It would be better if you shared seven verses along with your seven-course meal. Here's a small portion of the article on the subject. And to set its stage, after explaining the importance of Scripture, its essential qualities in divine nature, Bible scholar... John Piper, whom I love and plan to spend eternity with, but this is fairly ridiculous here. I mean, you could hear Jesus speaking to him. You are Israel's teacher. Look at what he says. The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean... Somebody say, does not. Does Does not. not. The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that the Scripture is all we need to live obediently. To be obedient in the sciences, we need to read science and study nature. To be obedient in economics, we need to read economics and observe 
the world of business. To be obedient in sports. <laughs> My God, who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> we need to know the rules of the game. To be obedient in marriage. Here we go. We need to know the personality of our spouse. To be obedient as a pilot, we need to know how to fly a plane. In other words, the Bible does not tell us all we need to know in order to be obedient stewards of this world. Wow. You know what, church? Uh, while this statement seems to have an element of wisdom, an element of earthly, common Practical, even unspiritual wisdom. It does not set the scripture as sufficient, as foundational, as supreme source of truth for every, say every, every, every area of life. See, unfortunately, church, this is not an isolated or an unusual response to this topic. Mr. Piper is one of the most well-respected Bible scholars in our country right now. But we found another source that says something very similar in compellingtruth.org. Management skills, counseling techniques, and other methods may provide some degree of help. Yet only scripture addresses the ultimate issues of fallen humanity, God's salvation through Jesus Christ, and the principles for Christian living by God's spirit that allow for living the abundant life. Mm. At first glance, uh, that sounds like a much more accurate view than the first article. And, and I want to be clear, in many ways, it, it is. But as you start to examine it closely, it implies that the Scripture addresses only the main or spiritual issues. Hmm. See, as you read further, you begin to realize that this is not an exaltation of the sufficiency of Scripture, but rather a segmentation into areas where the Scripture is and is not useful. The whole idea of a segmentation between a spiritual life and your regular life is something that does not exist in the scripture at all. There's just life. Yeah. Wow. You know what, church, take that off the screen. Thank you. Church, in regards to internal, unseen issues of the heart or issues otherwise considered spiritual, the scriptures are sufficient. But when considering everything else in the world deemed practical things, you must look somewhere else for something else so that you can find real success. Yeah, let's say this a different way. In the darkness of our modern times, with one sentence, men will espouse the virtues of the sufficiency of Scripture, while in the very next sentence, slander the Scripture by separating it, segmenting it, and sequestering it in order to not have to live by its sufficiency. In other words, they're acknowledging with their mouths that the Scripture is sufficient, like most Christians would, while demonstrating in their practice that they do not believe that it is sufficient for the majority areas of their lives. In other words, anything deemed practical, the Scripture really doesn't play a role in. But here's a point that we want to emphasize to you guys. The Word is sufficient for the darkness. Amen. Amen. Don't sequester it to segments of your life. Set it as the sole, solitary, supreme pursuit and as sufficient for and the foundation of every task in every area of your life. Come on, somebody say an amen in this house today. Amen. See, we're going to contrast these conflicting confessions with creeds uh, with a more OG kind of confession. Oh, yeah. That date all the way back to the Protestant Reformation. Let us give you a little bit of background on the creed that you are about to hear in just a moment. In just a minute, we'll put it on the screen, but we, we want you to hear about it first so you're not reading it before you have its context. The Belgic Confession dates to 1561 A.D., so we're at the heart of the Reformation. Its author was Guido de Braz. Now, after, after careful work on Ancestry.com, we realized that this is actually Christy Paroli's great-great-great-grandfather. <laughs> but it, it's okay because she, she, she married a Sutherland. So, um, 
And ironically, he didn't pastor where I expected him to. He pastored in the Netherlands. I was thinking he was Sicilian. But during his time, the churches were experiencing extraordinary persecution. It was precisely because they see the scripture as sufficient in every area of life. The oppressive governments saw them as rebels and submitted them to tortures that were unique. So a letter was written and sent to King Philip by de Bras. So King Philip II is interacting with de Bras, and we still have a portion of the letter, and I want to read that to you. We are ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but we will offer our backs to stripes, our tongues to knives, our mouths to gags, or our whole bodies to the fire, rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. The confession is what follows. Let's pull up the next slide as we read this confession. This is the Belgic Confession on the Sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that this Holy Scripture contains the will of God completely, and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. For since the entire manner of service, which God requires of us... No, no, wait. Not just what you need to be saved, but the entire manner of service for all of life is what they're saying. Is described in it at great length. No one, even an apostle or an angel from heaven, as Paul says ought to teach other than what the Holy Scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add to or subtract from the Word of God, this plainly demonstrates that the teaching is perfect. Say perfect, saints. Perfect. And complete. Say complete. Complete. In all respects. Therefore, we must not consider human writings. No matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings. Nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time, or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God. For truth is above everything else. Amen. Amen. This confession goes on to say, For all human beings are liars by nature, and more vain than vanity itself. (laughs) Subtle, huh? (laughs) Therefore, we reject with all of our hearts everything that does not agree with this infallible rule, as we are taught to do by the apostles when they say, test the spirits to see if they are of God. And also, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, even on a TV screen. See, in ancient times, and what I'm calling ancient is before the last 150 years, men looked to the Word in a different way than they do now. Now people are looking at the Word as a supplement. They're looking at the Word to justify what they already wanted to say. It, It is like a footnote to satisfy a critic, but you really come to hear what the man says. In this kind of confession, and in the confession that we hold dear to our hearts, there is no separation, no segmentation, no sequestering of the Scripture out of an area of life because it's deemed not practical. Wow. This confession was springing from the effort of exalting the sufficiency of Scripture. Grandpapa Guido, (laughs) he proved this confession was much more than just words. He died as a martyr to the faith in the year of 1567, about five and a half years after he wrote this confession. Come on. No spineless spiritual sequestering in him. No. Friends, in our dark times, let us turn the light of God's word to to the light of God's word so that we can understand the sufficiency of scripture as the word describes it. Amen. 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 We're going to go to Deuteronomy 32. We're going to pick up in verse 47. Amen. I'm waiting for pages to quit turning. We want you with us. Amen. We actually believe church is interactive. We actually believe that we participate together and that God is exalted in our assembly when we do so in a special way. Amen. 
Deuteronomy 32, 47. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Church, we want you to notice this passage doesn't say that the word of God is an area of your life. It says that it is your life. See, you've got to understand that this passage is not saying that it's your spiritual life. It is your life. Notice that there is no segmentation in this verse. The scripture is seen as sufficient, foundational, and supreme for every area of your life. In fact, the specific phrase is, it is your life. Amen. Isn't that a good word? Well, I want you to think on something for a minute. When you think of a man like, let's say, Benjamin Franklin. Mm, Think of the onion. Like I'm talking about throwing down the bills. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those in a while. It is a hundred he's on, isn't it? <laughs> We're pastors. We don't see those yeah, kind of bills. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember at the moment. But there, there are some things that Benjamin Franklin is well noted for. Things such as inventions of the electrostatic machine. Oh, right? everybody got one of those in your closet. Yes. How about this? Bifocals. Now those I have. Yep. Very, very helpful. Uh, something uh, that is known as swim fins. Grandma had some of those. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Uh, also, there's something else Grandma had, and that was the Franklin stove. Extremely helpful. How about this? A redesigned catheter. Ooh. Comes in handy. Or let's they, just... they took the curve out of it. <laughs> Maybe just inventions aren't your thing, right? And it's better well noted in your memory that Benjamin Franklin is a founding father of our nation. Well, to understand what we're saying, I want you to consider this quote as we pull up the next slide. There he is. Look at that handsome face on the left. A quote from Benjamin Franklin. We need to put him on the five so I see him more often. He said, to be a jack of all trades and a master of one. A master of one. The one thing Benjamin Franklin mastered in his life was the sufficiency of Scripture. And so, he, therefore, he was competent in every other area. This really is the way it has always worked. And we want to show you this. Let's think on the law. As we're thinking about the law, the first five books of the Bible, think about Joseph. We know the totality of his life. We know where he ended up, but let's consider along the way what made him not just a jack of all trades, but a master of one. (laughs) He grew up as a shepherd boy, then into a pit, then into a prison, and finally into a palace. How did he get able to do and to live in the palace? See, Joseph was sufficient for leading all of Egypt Because the scriptures were sufficient for him in all areas of his life. Amen. You have to consult a psychologist when dealing with his childhood traumas. Oh, that's good. You know what? He didn't have to seek legal consultants to deal with the reparations for his slavery. He didn't have to consult a behavioral health specialist due to sexual harassment in the workplace. He didn't utilize a political consulting firm and focus groups to evaluate the receptiveness of his message to the baker or cupbearer. Oh, that's good. You know, he didn't retreat to the university to obtain an economics degree when facing a famine. He did not rely on a political science degree to ascend to Pharaoh's throne. He didn't look into a Blue Cross, Blue Shield list of providers... When healing the fractures within his own family due to his brother's sin. Church, where is the first place Joseph looked as sufficient for any problem that he faced? Into the word of God. Amen. See, mastering the scripture as sufficient for every area of life will lead you into every area of life. Amen. Hey, it worked for Joshua. It worked for Joseph. If you see them as a jack of all trades, whether we're talking about proficient in warfare, economics, or governing, 
it's because they first mastered only one. See, when you master the scripture, when it is sufficient for everything, then what you need flows out of it. Amen. Hey, let's see this, how this worked in the prophets. So everybody turn to 1 Kings chapter 4. We'll pick up at verse 29. Oh, you're going to want to read this one. Say sufficient when you're there. Verse 29. God gave Shlomo. Shlomo. God gave Shlomo wisdom and very great insight. And a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east. And greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. We're really sorry, Ibrahim. Yeah, just no, yeah, amen. It's, I mean, you don't want to be singled out, but <laughs> just say it. It was greater. In fact, he was wiser than any other man, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke, get this, 3,000 proverbs. Come on. He, and his songs numbered a thousand and five. Man. Pastor, that's more than the Beatles did. What? That's a huge greatest hit CD. That's right. Verse 33, he described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. See, church, obviously we understand, but God gave Solomon wisdom and insight that was the envy of all nations. Because God's revealed word was sufficient, foundational, and supreme in every area of his life. There are at least seven, somebody say seven. Seven. There are seven major disciplines that many people would not see the scriptures as sufficient for that are listed in this passage. How many are there? Seven. I want to do them for you. Philosophy, musicology, botany, zoology, ornithology, herpetology, ichthyology. Those are all found in this one passage. (laughs) See, when you view the Creator's words as sufficient for every situation, He will teach you about everything that He created. Let's look look now. That's kind of undeniable logic, isn't it? (laughs) About everything He created. Well, we want to see this as it works within the writings. So let me just say this to you. Nehemiah. Does everybody know who Nehemiah is? Nehemiah went from being, get this, a professional wine taster. How do you get that job? Man, swirl, swirl, sip. (laughs) A professional wine taster to the point of reconstituting the nation of Israel for no other reason that he and Ezra saw the word of God as sufficient for every single area of life. See, church, when faced with Sanballat and Tobiah, or the complexities of international diplomacy in dealing with Cyrus, these men did not consult an international affairs attorney. They consulted the word of God because it was sufficient, foundational, and supreme for every area of their life and the world. Do you love the word? Let me share with you one that I love a a, a great deal. We're going to go to Psalm 19, and we're going to start in verse 7. It's familiar to you, but we want it it so deeply implanted in your soul that you can't see anything without seeing through it. Sufficient. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise The simple. Man, we can't overlook this. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Amen. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Amen. 
Isn't that a good passage of scriptures? Let's pull up the slide. We have a chart that I think many of you guys are going to recognize from discipleship training book. We want you to focus on the far right column. And we want to see what is the scripture actually sufficient for. It is sufficient for reviving your soul. Amen. That's, that's better than CPR right there. Absolutely. It's sufficient to make you wise. In fact, if you ignore it, the Bible says you're a fool. Absolutely. It is sufficient enough to give you joy, not just to your face, but to your heart from which all things flow. It is sufficient to give light to your eyes. It is sufficient to give you endurance. It is sufficient to make you sure and righteous. It is sufficient enough to add value and some sweetness to your life. That's my sweetness right there with the glasses on. Ooh, if we're going to call out sweetness, I just got to say mine's dressed in pink today. (laughs) My little sweet and low right there. One sexy grandma. We've been married 27 years now. The Lord knows how to add sweetness to your life. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Come on. Mm -mm. That's sufficient, brother. And on that topic, the word of God is sufficient to give you a great reward. Church, while we were studying for this, we're going we're gonna to draw your attention now. We've, we've had a, some historical references. We're going to quote to you and read to you from every major section of the Bible throughout our time together today. We're, we're showing you charts and scriptures that we have worked through. I got to tell you, though, we found, it, we found a pretty good one. You're going to like what we have coming next. See, we learned that our older brother... Israel's doctrinal statements are much more comprehensive than our own. So we're going to look at a passage on the sufficiency of Scripture drawn from the Talmud. We're going to put it on the screen for you. You see its location there at the top. Listen to what this says. One who feels pain in his head should engage in Torah study, as it is stated, for they shall be a graceful wreath for your head. One who feels pain in his throat should engage in in Torah study, as it is stated, and chains around your neck. One who feels pain is in, in his intestines should engage in Torah study, as it is stated, it shall be health to your navel. One who feels pain in his bones should engage in Torah study, as it is stated, and marrow to your bones. One who feels pain in his entire body should engage in Torah study, as it is stated, and health to all their flesh. Come on, what an awesome I want to I, I, I wanna get this straight. What is the scripture sufficient for? You got a headache, girl? Read your Bible. You got a sore throat, young man? Read your Bible. You got digestive problems, Cody? Read your Bible. Come here, Grandma. You got osteoporosis? It's okay. Read your Bible. Yes. How many of you have ever been to the doctor and been given a prescription that healed one area of your body while equally harming another area of your yep. body? Yep, yep. That's why they put the side effects in small print. I promised the pastors I would not tell you about any of the side effects. Let me just say that the cure is often worse than the disease. The cost of side effects for leaning on human wisdom before you lean on the revealed Word of God is high. Okay, if you start with the Word of God, it fixes so much. When God gives a prescription, it will heal your whole body. I'm talking about He is the holistic practitioner, not the weird old lady in the vitamin store. (laughs) The Scripture is entirely sufficient. Maybe that's why Deuteronomy reminds us in chapter 8 what it says. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every, say every, every, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, church, the scripture is sufficient in every area for everyone, for every hunger. In fact, every word is sufficient for every situation to bring life to everyone who obeys it. Amen. Church, as I'm thinking on that, I think 
of Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 9. This is a passage that is speaking about Levi. And it says this. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But listen to this. He watched over your word and guarded your covenant. Yes. Church, can you imagine having to be the resident medical expert for leprosy, for balding, or the permitting office for construction dealing with mold, or the judiciary branch resolving disputes, or the military intelligence office advising warfare. See, the word was sufficient for the Levites in every task, in every situation, for everyone at all times. See, it was not the reformers who created sola scriptura. It was the nation of God. Amen. Amen. One of my favorites is Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 14. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Look at 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. When considering the sufficiency of scripture, we must understand that it covers everything in life spanning all the way to our death. Furthermore, it spans everything between prosperity and destruction. The scripture is sufficient for everyone, every time, and in every situation. When you master this one thing, then you can move on to be a jack of other trades. I had to, I have to cheat and grab a prophet here. Is that okay with y'all? Well, even if it's not, it's what we're doing. (laughs) Isaiah 8, verse 19. Sometime later, you connect this to Luke 24. But for now, Isaiah 8, 19. When men tell you to consult mediums, even in the medical community, and spiritists like politicians who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Come on. on. The scripture is so sufficient that we should refuse to consult the dead on behalf of the living. When you do that, if you do consult dead rather than living, it plunges the world into the dark ages just like when people were denied the light of God's word under the Roman Catholic Church. All my study, all your study, should stem from the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture will lead you into every other needed area and you'll experience something like a renaissance period of unparalleled creativity in your life. The Scripture must never be a supplement to your other studies. It is sufficient. It is foundational. And it is supreme in every area of one's life. Church, while we're sharing favorite verses in the prophets, I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And look at verse 19. First Samuel 3.19. It says this. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel. Through his word. Amen. Come on church. The scripture is so sufficient. That when you cling to it. None of your words will fall to the ground. Come on now, what a statement is that? The word will be the foundation of everything that we study as a group. Look, when God reveals himself to you, it isn't just segmented into your spiritual life. When God reveals himself because of the sufficiency of scripture, it impacts your whole life every time. Amen. It is sufficient, foundational, and supreme in every area of our lives. Amen. I got a favorite one too. Zechariah 8, 9 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. See, the scripture is sufficient enough to strengthen your hands even in a massive construction project. Amen. I refuse, we refuse to let insecurity and fear drive or move us from the sufficient 
foundational and supreme nature of God's word. When his word is the very center of everything that we do, all other studies flow from it. Amen. Church, as we transition to the writings portion, let us show you why the sufficiency of scripture is set above all things. Let's all turn to Psalm 138 and we're going to look at verse 2. Psalm 138 in verse 2. Come on, you got you to get ready for this. You got to turn to this. You are going to want to read this. Is everybody there? Look, it says this. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things. Are you ready for this? What has the Lord himself exalted above all things? Your name and your word. See, the reason that we are lifting up, that we are elevating, that we are bringing to the highest place that we can the sufficiency of Scripture. You know why we're doing it? Because God does it. God has elevated his name and his word above all else. God says it to us. Amen. I got to say that's pretty pashat. That's, that's, that's pretty airtight. God says it. That settles it. By the way, lift up your name and your word. Exalted your name and your word above. You wouldn't know what his name was without his word. I want to show you why it can't be segmented. Okay? This is Psalm 33, verses 4 through 6. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. The creator's word is sufficient for everything in the creation. When you are reading the thoughts of the creator... He will tell you what you need to know about his creation. Church, in fact, say it with me. Every letter. Every letter. Every word. Every word. Every book. Every book. Every time. Every time. For everyone. For everyone. How about everybody turn with me to Psalm chapter 119. We'll look at verse 97. We'll start there. We're going to sit in this one for a minute and you're going to see several facets about it. So you're going to want to look at this in your Bible. Amen. Say sufficient when you're there. Starting with verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. For I obey your precepts. See, this passage of Scripture demonstrated the sufficiency of Scripture in at least three ways. And we want to show this to you on the next slide. Those three ways are seen here. That the Word of God is sufficient to make you wiser than your enemies. Do you want to be wiser than your enemies? The Word is sufficient to do that. The Word of God is sufficient to to give you more insight then your teachers, come on, that, that's powerful. It is also sufficient to give you more understanding than the elders. Come on, church. Somebody just say, that's just number one. That was just number one. There's actually three. Each one has three sections, but there's three whole sections. And they're showing you each time how that you are elevated because of the sufficiency of Scripture. The second slide here. To accomplish these things that, he, that, that Pastor Matt just talked about. About being wiser than the enemies. More insight than your teachers. And more understanding than the elders. You know how you do that? You start off with the commands just being with you. The commands just being with you already makes you wiser than your enemies. Just having them. See, you become more insightful than your, te- your teachers when you meditate. Somebody say meditate. Meditate. See, this doesn't this call to mind what Joshua is saying when you meditate on his word day and night. It makes you able to be more insightful than your teachers. And when you begin to obey, somebody say obey. 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 Do you see the escalation here? If you just have them, you're already going to be able to beat your enemies. If you think on them, you're already going to have more insight than your teachers. By the way, as your pastors and elders here, this is what we want for you. This is exactly what we're, we're saying. Yes, meditate on your word. Be more insightful than us. This is what propels the kingdom. And my goodness, it's hard to think about being more understanding 
than our elders. But the reason our elders are who they are is because they obey the very precepts of the Lord. Man, somebody say, that's just number two. That's just number two. Here comes the third way that the sufficiency of Scripture is demonstrated. Every level that you read the Bible at, you will find more wisdom than you can possibly handle. Psalm 119, somebody say that thing's long. That thing's long. Yeah, in your daily readings, when you're trying to get five to ten chapters, when you hit Psalm 119, it's, it's a difficult, difficult thing to do. Because it's long, the Jews made it an acrostic. And in being an acrostic, as God was inspiring every letter on the page, each section is associated with a letter. This passage of Psalm 119 is associated with the letter Mem. Every verse in the passage begins with a Mem. Well, that's interesting because Mem has always been associated with chaos. Mem, when a child looked at the letter, he saw something that in Paleo-Hebrew looked like a wave of water and the chaos that covered the earth in the beginning. From the beginning, the word has been dealing with chaos. See, the, the origins of our whole planet start with God speaking light into darkness and just His word was sufficient to create everything. This is a reminder to the reader of Psalm 119 that meditating on the statutes of God, it is sufficient to tame the chaos in every area of your life. If the scripture is not sufficient in every area, then whatever area you are not relying on it, you'll be deceived by chaos in that area. If you separate the scripture from your work life, if you separate the scripture from your relationship, if you separate the scripture from any segment of your life, you are a breeding ground in that area for chaos to overcome you. That's right. You know, I understand you could be thinking the Bible won't teach me about theoretical physics, about philosophy or mathematics, but let's use mathematics as an example. So how about this? When the scripture is not sufficient, and so you then begin to focus on mathematics, you learn to derive what you think is the right answer. Yeah, see, there's a problem, though. Here's the chaos. Your calculations cause you to become a criminal because it's just math. See, what difference does it make uh, that I'm counting kilos for the cartel? (laughs) Well, I I can tell you. When you're sitting in your prison cell, having segmented away the sufficiency of Scripture, and chaos has overcome your calculation, you won't sit there and say there's a difference between the spiritual and practical world. You, you won't do that because you will practically be sitting in a prison. The Scripture is the source of sufficiency for every endeavor, even mathematics. Did you hear that, sir? church? is sufficient for every endeavor. I want to ask you a question. Does anyone know what the most devastating famine to have ever hit the world was? So Somebody jumped out with flood. Give us what's the most devastating famine that ever hit the world. Joseph's, we said. Okay. Why is everybody so quiet? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you people? How are we going to have a conversation? Hey, Gabe, talk to me for a minute. How are you, buddy? And he just stares at me. That's right. Just don't face. Hey, Gabe, how you doing? Just stone face. Is that much of a conversation? Are we a church body or not? Yeah. What is the most devastating flood that ever happened? Uh, I'm sorry. The most devastating, devastating famine. <laughs> you got me all verklept. What's the most devastating famine that has ever happened? Yeah, of course you're wrong. Here, that comes from... <laughs> See what we did there? <laughs> Nicely done. See, that comes from seeing the Scripture as history instead of seeing history in the light of Scripture. We're going oh, yeah. to tell you the answer now. Yeah. Everybody in the room, turn to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. I told you, every section, we're going to hit it today. Amos 8, we are now in verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. 
men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from the north to the east searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Oh, isn't that clear, saints? That's a famine. Look, some figures in history that we saw this in. Pilate experienced this famine, and as his life descended into chaos, I bet he didn't segment spiritual from physical on his dying day. Church, consider the masses in the book of Revelation that they'll experience this famine as their life descends into chaos. I bet they won't segment spiritual from physical as they see the plagues and the earth itself reeling upon its axis. Wow. Those who have a form of godliness but no power, they are continually in this kind of famine because they segment their so-called spiritual lives from their practical lives and that always causes you to descend into chaos. It does. We don't want there to be a famine. We don't want there to be a famine. And the truth is God's word has always been available. But men haven't hungered for it so they can't see it. They don't even know what they're missing. They're eating spiritual junk food. And they're watching videos of so-called super spiritual stars that are really just carnal entertainers. We need to hunger for the word of God. Are you hungry? Yes. We want you to consider a passage from Ecclesiastes as a warning on this subject. So Ecclesiastes 12, 12 and 13, I'll read it to you. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books. There is no end and much study wearies the body. Come on. Somebody testify. That's true. Amen. That's true. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Do you realize that the whole book of Ecclesiastes is the story of a man who is gifted by God in every way, dependent on the Lord, but sought after other pursuits. It was no longer sufficient for him. And in the last chapter, he he lets you know that the entire struggle was ridiculous and he should have just seen the scripture as sufficient. Wow. Let me read this to you again. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Whole duty. Let that sit in your heart for just a second. Let the understanding of what the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes is speaking to us. It's confirming what we're saying today. Listen, as we think about you guys, it starts making us think through the professions that are in the room. That's true. We've got engineers. Oh, come on, engineers. Come on. You see, yeah, engineers are not a rowdy group. That's, that's, Present. that's a rough. They're sitting over there calculating how loud their res- response somebody, should somebody be. Somebody click your pen if you're an engineer. Yeah. Show, show us your pocket protectors. Tap your pocket protector. Here we go. We've got engineers. We've got mechanics. Yeah, there you uh, go. There we've you got go. salesmen in the house. What? And probably the most important, we've got some homemakers in this place. Oh, yeah, we do. So I got a question for everybody in the house. How many of your lives are free from chaos in your workplace? See, there's only one solution for chaos, and that is truth. Yeah, some of the moms are like, chaos is, explains most of my days. <laughs> See, truth can't be divided into practical and spiritual truth. There is only truth. What is truth, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. That is a great question. That insightful question about what truth is. Let's all turn to John 17, and we're going to find the answer. I I love this. I'm not going to lie. I I could just preach about this. Sanctify them by... The truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The scripture is so sufficient. It separates you from the chaos. It's se- See, sanctify means to separate out for God's use. Separate them out for God's use by the truth. Your word is truth. It is a real problem that people see this as applying only to salvation, meaning eternal life. Because our salvation actually is occurring throughout our life. You were saved, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. 
It appears in all three tenses in the Bible because you are on a journey. And in that journey, it is His Word that is sufficient for you to make it to the end and have an abundant life while you're doing it. We should accept no attack on the sufficiency of Scripture. And it is a process of osmosis all around us. The Scripture is sufficient to separate you from the chaos. Every one of you, every time, in every situation. You know what, church? Tell me. When your car doesn't run. When your spreadsheet will not open. (laughs) How about this? When your customer has lied to you. And this one, when your baby has filled up the diaper running over the brim. When those things say 8 to 10 pounds, that really is about all the hold. <laughs> yes, that's tried and true. You know what it says? These aren't, are, these are just, I'm sorry. These are not uh, just, just spiritual problems, problems, are they? No. You can say it feels like a spiritual problem, but you practically have to deal with something, don't you? See, you can't separate these things. Maybe it is the devil that loosed your child's bowels at the wrong moment. But unless angels appear from heaven and do it for you, it's very much a spiritual and practical issue in that very moment. See, this is exactly what we're getting at, is that the spiritual world and the so-called practical world are not separated, church. They're not. And neither is the solution to either area. See, the word of God is sufficient for everyone, every time, in every situation. Come on, how many of you have ever experienced evil in your workplace? (laughs) I thought that would have been more enthusiastic. (laughs) Was the evil just a shimmering spirit? Or did it manifest in very practical ways? Pay cuts, demotions. Job loss. I mean, let's not even talk about our little angels, right, that that we have in our own homes. Does their evil not manifest itself in very practical ways? Black eyes, stolen toys, biting the kid next to them. I mean, I mean, this is this is real life here, people. It is. uh, It ought to be getting really real for some of you (laughs) with your little biting angels. I want to turn to Hebrews 514. There is no division between spiritual and practical. It simply doesn't exist. The, you are a merger between the earth and the heavens. You are dirt that God breathed in. You, you are very practical and very spiritual with every breath that you take. Uh, there's no such thing as a person who is not spiritual. Your breath is spiritual. Amen. Uh, it's actually why we call it respiration. But Hebrews 5.14 It's a principle that is so strong, you need to never let it go. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, not occasional use, not segmented use, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, that distinguishing is important in every facet of life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, since y'all aren't talking to me, let me, let me say it this way. Yeah. It's a really good thing that you don't have to distinguish in evil when you're in your workplace, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we need it. We need it. No more church, and additionally to that, it's a good thing you don't have to distinguish evil when listening to the CDC, to the World Health Organization, and to all the sciences that are out there. No, they only have the purest of intentions of for you. How they only more? tell the truth. How about more on a local level? Good thing you don't have to distinguish evil when a local judge issues all kind of orders, do you? Cover your face. I'm going to preach to you through my garment. (laughs) The word of God is not just sufficient for salvation. It is sufficient, foundational, and supreme in every area. Every time, it must be the center of every endeavor, no matter what you're studying, or you will be deceived by the chaos within that subject. True, true. You know, it's been a while since I said this. That I want to let you know, guys, 
I love my church. Oh, I love yeah. our church. That's a good word. Aside from those down there, this is a really good looking church. Oh, yeah. Well, Wapo. Church, sincerely, we want to let you know that we're proud of you. And while we're in this study this morning, there's a scripture that came to mind as we begin to think of you. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. Everybody turn there. Say sufficient whenever you're there. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you, church, who believe. Come on, church. You know the value of the word of God. You would never put the words of other men on the same plane as the word of God. We know that about you. Church, we know that you see the scripture as sufficient for every situation. See, this church knows that Jesus is, in fact, the word of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's read in Colossians. Everyone turn with us to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 16. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. You're going to want to have this right in front of your eyes. It says this. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yes, it does. In fact, you know the scripture is sufficient, and it is the glue that holds everything together. I love this church. You know that our very creation came into being by the sufficiency of of God's word, and it is sufficient for everything. You know that. Yeah. As the LCM family, you know that the sufficiency of Scripture comes before all things. Mm. You know what? Many of you guys, we know you have Hebrews 1, 3 memorized and planted deep in your soul. But for the few who don't, let's read it together. So everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll read verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Amen. That's a good word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Church, we know that as a people, you've learned that the sciences are held together by the word of God that sustains them. After all he created, the very things that they are studying. Whenever there seems to be a discrepancy, you know, you just wait a hundred years and science will catch up to the Bible. Yeah. There is nothing true in all of creation that is not derived from the sufficiency of Scripture. In fact, the Scripture is sufficient for everyone, in every situation, at all times. Which brings us to our close and our final Scripture. We'd like for everybody in the room to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to look at verse 36. 1 Corinthians 14, 36. We need everybody in the room to be here with us. It says this. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people that it has reached? See, theologically, everyone in the room agreed with the concept we're talking about before you walked in. You agreed theologically that the word was sufficient in every area. Theoretically, everyone in the room would say that scripture must be the center of everything that you do. See, and now that we know that there is no segmentation between the spiritual and practical elements that we all deal with, there is no division There is no difference. How are you doing practically with the sufficiency of Scripture? Do you have a charismatic disease? One that receives a dream, intuition, or otherwise spiritual feeling? 
and then looks to the word to see if you can supplement your vision and dream? Does your heart lead you, guide you, and inform you of the truth in every situation? It's my heart. Perhaps you view yourself as innately spiritual and just have a good sense for what is true and of God and right in the world. Are your intentions so good, so noble, so pure that they are beyond contestation and should be accepted by all? Have your experiences given you such a thorough education that they are trustworthy, faultless, blameless, and as such, the true source of your illumination? Have tribalisms, church sayings, wise counsel, even from friends here, become for you the guiding light of your life? There's a reason that we're asking you this. The Word of God did not originate with you. You are not the only people that it has reached. The Scripture is the record of God's Word to all who ever came before you, and it is the only sufficient source for judging your visions, judging your heart's inclination. It is the only sufficient source of morality. It is the only sufficient source for you to understand your own intentions. It is the only sufficient source to guide your experiences. Your experience doesn't guide the Word. The Word guides your experience. The platitudes that you love, the little axioms and sayings, if they did not flow organically out of the Word, they're as worthless as going to a medium. Is the scripture practically sufficient for you? Or are you guilty of the same segmentation that we've been talking about in this entire sermon? See, church in the darkness, sufficiency of scripture is nothing but a segmented platitude for someone's life. But in the light of eternity, holding true to the sufficiency of scripture will have us seated on thrones in the heavenly realm. This is your life that we're talking about today. Let's get this straight. Mr. Piper wouldn't disagree that the scripture is sufficient, but then when he practically explains it, it's not. Compellingtruth.org would not disagree that the scripture is sufficient, but when they Explain it, you find out it's only sufficient for the spiritual areas of their life. But they're not here and you are. When you examine your week, how often are you having to turn to the scripture so that you will know what you should do? Are you pretty confident that you just kind of got this? I mean, I don't know exactly where it's at. No, I can't say exactly what it says. But I kind of, I know what's in there. Well, it doesn't sound like the scripture is very sufficient then, does it? In your life, raising your children, working in your workplace... How central is the scripture in everything that you do? See, when you go on a mission trip, we know that it is. When you go out to witness on the street, we know that it is. When you come in here or show up at a Bible study, we know that it is. But we're talking about every area of your life. The scripture is sufficient to teach you to raise your children. To know whether or not to give a toy to one. And refuse the toy to the other. The scripture is sufficient. It's living and active. It will teach you how to respond to your boss at work. How to solve every problem you face no matter what your field is. But you must rely on the scripture alone. And then let other things grow out of that. Can you honestly say that that's what you're doing when you survey the last week of your life? 
not talking about a quiet time in the morning. I'm talking about every minute of every day. Your decisions are flowing out of the word of God that you are looking to as the only sufficient source. Because no matter what you thought about John Piper, no matter what you thought about compellingtruth.org, let me assure you, you are every bit as guilty if the scripture is not directing your daily, hourly, minutely life. You have a chance to come and cut that away. At this altar, it's not magical. In fact, Charlie and I and a few guys built it. You have a chance to make a commitment before God and invite Him into that commitment to direct every facet of your life. Not some weird spiritual fluttering experience. I'm all for those. I've had more of them than most of you. But for an experience that flows out of God's word and relies on God's word to know even what is spiritual, you'll have that opportunity. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we thank you for the word that you have made glorious. We want with all of our hearts, Lord, to learn to use your word well. Not as a tool. Not as simply the justification for something. Lord, we want our lives to flow out of your scripture. You are the living, breathing word of God. And we want our lives to look like you. And you gave us the living, enduring, eternal seed. Teach us to get it planted, not as a one-time event, but as a daily harvest. We want and need and ask for your help in this matter. Spirit of God, come and witness to the, to the word that, that has been spoken here today. Let the signs and wonders be what is happening inside of these people right here. We trust you, Lord. And we rely on you.